Welcome to episode 65 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 7. We are one spirit, one soul, and together we are creating a library of stories and life lessons. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories because stories matter, stories inspire, stories teach, and stories heal. Hello again from India. I am ecstatic that we are halfway through season 7. It is not so much about the numbers, which also I am very happy about, because we are at 8,923 downloads already, and we are getting closer to my target of 10,000 downloads. But it is more about the fact that I am enjoying my guests more and more by the episodes. My nephew Zen in India said, Ani, which is what he calls me, you are a journalist. And I said, really? And he responded, of course, the kind of questions you ask and the information you unravel from your guests is nothing short of journalistic. I think I will enjoy that comment for a long time. As always, we begin this episode with a good thought, which is relevant to our discussion regarding self-love and optimism. Actually, posts with these messages just kind of show up in my inbox the day I'm processing final edits to publish the episode. It is as if the universe is my production assistant, and I hope this never stops as I'm getting too used to it. The author is unknown, and here is how it goes. Every single day is different. Some days you wake up and feel strong to face the world. You feel like you can handle everything and you think you're unstoppable. Other days you just don't want to get out of bed. You feel like you're fragile, like a glass, and just want to get away from your reality. And that's life. Life consists of both kind of days. Learn to love and support yourself every single day, either good or bad. Learn to accept that life has ups and downs, and that is what makes it a wonderful journey. Now over to introducing our guest for today. She is a transformational coach, speaker, writer, and optimism expert dedicated to showing people how to courageously love themselves deeply and live a life of their own creation. Everyone, let's welcome Carla Smith. Carla, welcome to Sharing Life Lessons. It is so good to have you on the show. Thank you for generously accepting to be a guest on Sharing Life Lessons. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Hamida. I'm so excited to be here. And I just love uh, stories so much. They're such a beautiful way for us to learn from one another. So thank you for having me. Totally. Stories matter, stories heal, stories teach. I would like for you to start us off by telling us something about yourself, please. Sure. I'm going to start with the shock value because I think it's always a great way to start. So in J- July uh, 2019, I got married, my second marriage, and I became the mom of seven. So I always love to start there because people are like, what? (laughs) So I have my, what I call my four originals. So those are my kids that I had at a younger age. And then the love of my life, Rob, I married him and he has three kids. So I became their beautiful stepmom. I'm also the 
fur mom of four fur babies and a fur grandbaby. So we have just a busy kind of chaotic, messy household. Obviously not all of those kids live with us anymore, which is great. We okay. range in age That's from some 16, relief there. Yeah, 16 to 27. So some are starting to move on and it's really lovely. And I really feel like I share that because it's really the kind of like culmination of all the work that I've done has brought me this beautiful life that I've created for myself. That's really what leads me to my professional world where I'm a personal transformation coach. I believe we can live a life of our own creation when we decide to love ourselves deeply. And when we do that, it's really so empowering. We get to really have this life of our dreams. And that's really what I show people how to do. What are the, you know, get out of the old patterns, the default settings, the inner critic, negative self-talk. Then we create a plan that helps people to imagine and envision their life in a bigger way. And then I help them to navigate in the real world, those new ways of operating. So that's what I do as a personal transformation coach. I also call myself a optimism expert. And I just launched this beautiful, the Everyday Optimist. It's a membership program that I offer. That's really this daily way for you to start your own self-love journey. And I think that I'm definitely going to share that in the show notes. It's a Patreon account. So it's called the Everyday Optimist. Just because you said uh, that you offer these everyday optimist things, I must read out here. In one of my chat groups, I get this everyday good message. Mm -hmm. And here is today's message. It says, stressful, resistant thoughts don't have to be your habitual way of reacting to your world. By practicing thoughts of minimal resistance, you'll eventually become the tranquil person you desire to be. That's perfect. Isn't it? That is a great start to our interview. Mm-hmm. Thank you. For the listeners, if any of this resonates with you, we will have Carla's website or any links that she shares with us in the show notes. And now we are ready for your story. Oh, great. Please tell us your story. Wonderful. As I said at the beginning, I love story. It's just this beautiful way for us to weave in our experiences, our expertise, our insights in the world. And so my story, although I can tell it in many different ways, I really want to focus on the sort of angle of self-love and optimism today. And I'm going to start by just sharing my definition of optimism, because I think it really helps frame where I'm coming from. So optimism for me is quite simple. It means that permanently and generally life is good and temporarily and specifically we face challenge. And so it's not necessarily about always being happy or always being positive. It's really about understanding that there's a flow. And when we use the lens of that definition, that idea that life is permanently and generally a gift, then that's really how self-love can flourish. Both self-love and optimism are something that people can have quite naturally. So some people might be more self-loving, more optimistic than others from birth. But what's amazing is both of them are things we can practice and learn and bring more and more and more into our life. I would say that's not my experiences that I was like super self-loving, definitely not, and super 
optimistic a little bit, but not really in my early life, especially as an adult. Mm -hmm. And so I have spent the last decade really building those practices in my life. So my story begins when I was really a child. I grew up in a very toxic, dysfunctional home where emotional, verbal, physical abuse, I witnessed them and experienced them quite regularly. There was substance abuse in our home. And all of that led me to learn very, very early on that I needed to take care of people in order to survive. So Mm -hmm. I became the ultimate people pleaser, I feel like. And I really ended up learning that if I served others all the time, that I might receive some love. That was kind of like the conditions with which I started to learn how to get love and also what I thought I needed to do in in order to deserve it. So through that, I became like the scraps girl. I would take any little, little piece of love that I could get, any little kind of kindness, generosity, whatever, and just expect that to be kind of normal. I normalized not really receiving. And I just gave and gave and gave and became really this over giver. I felt over responsible for people's wellness. I felt like all of my life was for other people. And this is common. I think lots of us have kind of grown up on some level like this. I just took it to such a high extreme, Mm. I feel like. And the people around you to who you were giving did Mm -hmm. not give back is what you're Mm -hmm. saying. The people who are around me were very good at taking and receiving for sure. And it's not to say that that's the only thing. Obviously, this started in my family. So I know that there is love there. There just was also chaos. I never knew really where I stood because of that sort of abuse piece. So one day I could be acting this way and things could feel extremely normal and happy and kind. I could act the exact same way the next day and that could be violent or angry or make me feel like I was nothing. So So you pretty much were in a very volatile family environment. Exactly. So it never really felt safe unless I was doing this sort of very needy thing, that it was the safest thing I could do. It's like I created order in my house by making sure I took care of everyone's needs as best I could, making sure I kind of predicted what's coming next, taking care of everything and really putting myself at the bottom of my list. So this goes along for quite a long time. And of course it becomes so normal for me. And I, end up getting married in a similar situation quite young because I'm looking for love still. I'm looking for love from an outside place instead of from inside. So a similar pattern keeps growing. I give up lots of things throughout my life, like my ambition to be a therapist, my love of art, my love of culture. It's like almost like assimilation into someone else's needs. And I take full responsibility for this now, but at the time it just depleted me. I kept getting emptier and emptier and emptier and more resentful and angry and sad. And eventually this really led to me knowing absolutely I needed something to kind of change. And I really feel as though that change 
even though I knew it was necessary, I had no idea how to access that. And no one else did because I wasn't teaching them how to. I wasn't teaching other people how to give me what I needed. I was just always doing this thing outwardly in hopes to get the scraps. Mm -hmm. And so that led to an incredibly deep depression and also eventually a crash and burn. And I really didn't know whether I wanted to live or die. I can imagine. Yeah. And so I had a really dark day where I was deciding whether I wanted to live. It's one of the hardest days of my life for sure to really struggle and grapple with whether or not I'm even worthy of being here. I thank God for my children because I feel like I was tethered to their souls, you know. Mm -hmm. And on that day, after going through all of this turmoil, and I feel like there was definitely some divine intervention later on throughout that day that led me back to being here. I'm so grateful. Did you put a finger on what that intervention was? For sure. So I was walking, going to a park where I was planning to end my life. And I came to an intersection, which was completely empty. It seemed huge at the time. I've Mm -hmm. been back many times. I go back and sort of give thanks there quite often. And there's this beautiful, huge willow tree that has all those big sort of hanging branches and they're all swaying. And somehow they all start to sway what feels like in unison. And so I stop still in the middle of this intersection, bawling, Mm -hmm. knowing what's coming. Mm -hmm. And I just look up at that tree and I just say, what do I need to do? And I hear the voice go home. Oh, that is so touching. Thank you. Yeah. And I was about 12 blocks from home. I was in better shape than I am now, but still I was in my forties. I ran every one of those 12 blocks. I ran home, just ran home. And when I got home, I open the door exhausted and I look on my computer and back then 10 years ago, it's not like we had screensavers and all of that. My kid's picture is on the screen. So I know for sure that that's divine. I know for sure that I was meant to come back. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for that journey. I'm so grateful for that intervention. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm grateful for my children. And And I um, want to say that I'm grateful with you. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. And I share that story so often because we struggle with what to do in those deep, dark moments. And I want people to know that there is possibility, you know, if you are struggling, know to reach out and get some help. In that moment, I realized something huge had happened. Even in that moment, I realized that I had choice. Mm -hmm. Choice changed everything for me. I had the choice to live or die. Mm -hmm. I had the choice to be pessimistic or optimistic. I had the choice to stay married or not, right? And I had the choice to love myself. And I had chosen that in a minuscule way just by running home. But then I decided with the help of a lot of professionals, not a lot, but a, a great team of professionals and some loving, very close people, my sister and a the very select group of friends who knew. And I really decided that it was time for me to put myself at the top of my list. And it was that full stop moment in my life that changed everything for me. It was the beginning of my transformative journey. 
And it ended up leading to me being able to help so many people to choose themselves, choose love, and really then live the life that they are meant to be living. The fact that you are obviously a giver, because that's what you've done all your life. Mm-hmm. And then you learned the art of self-love. Mm-hmm. That is a mighty deadly combination. Yeah. Self-love and you are habitually giving. That's yeah. great. Thank you. The big piece for me is learning not be needy. Like I was, I needed to be needed. In, instead of giving from this place where I'm full, I'm full first because I've given to myself. And then I have all of this ability to give to other people. And so then I give from this place of like wholeness and fullness, which is totally different than giving from that place of depletion. And so through those early transformative days, basically what I did is put in place all of these self-loving practices that helped me to build this foundation of self-love. And that's really been the biggest journey of my life is learning how to take care of myself so that I could be good to the world, to other people, to my loved ones uh, in a really big way and attract really great people to me. Would love to hear some of your tips on how to self-love and also how to build optimism. Yeah, so soon after that dark day, I started just researching everything. Right? I just wanted to know how are good people? How are the people who I see as like living full lives? What are they doing? So I just started like gathering, 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 uh, fact finding everything I could do to really understand what good life and what good living looked like. And so the very first thing I started was giving myself a morning practice. I'm not sure I called it that at that time. It was more haphazard than that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I started getting up because I had, so I should just backtrack a teeny bit. I, I went to therapy. It was incredible and so good for me. I learned a lot about how to let go of being a victim and learn to be responsible for the pieces that I could take responsibility for. So I ended up becoming a survivor of that abuse. And I now feel like that I thrive, but at that time, that's where I was. And I ended up deciding that I needed to get a divorce. And very quickly. So you think therapy is helpful? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I know that's a very basic question. No, it's true. But there Mm. are some group of people who feel Mm. that therapy is um, not helpful. And that if you want to vent, if you want to talk, you talk to your family members Mm -hmm. or friends, Mm -hmm. but not a therapist. And that's why I'm asking you if you think therapy was good for you. Yeah. So I should like first put the disclaimer, my degree is in psychology. So I fully like wholeheartedly believe in therapy, but I will say that I definitely didn't get help when I should have earlier because I wasn't ready. I think you have to be ready for therapy. It has to feel like right for you, Mm -hmm. but I definitely know that it can help for sure. It's just a different process. When you tell people in your family or your friends about your issues and they can't help you weave through it, navigate it, unpack it. They can't see sort of a bigger picture and therapy and life coaching obviously 
help so much in really unearthing the things that are the old patterns that have been repeating themselves over and over that are unconscious to us. And so when we can see them, notice them, be aware of them, we can change them. That's really the whole basis of my, how I operate as a coach and weaving that psychology in there as well. So great question. And therapy helped me immensely. And I think for people who are really struggling with depression or anxiety or things that are getting them to a place where the dark thoughts are there, or they're feeling like burdened or overwhelmed, that's a really great avenue to go for sure. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So we got separated and I got my first apartment. I'd never lived by myself because I started dating my ex-husband when I was a teenager and I'd always been in that caregiving role. So this was going to be the first time that I really lived by myself. Obviously I have my kids and it becomes really busy when you're a single parent. I didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of resources. I had an apartment that was great for them, but not necessarily great for me because there, it was kind of missing some key elements like washer and dryer and so on. So I had like lots of labor that I had to do. So I ended up getting up really early in each morning because it was the only time that I had to myself, really. Mm-hmm. I decided to get up with the sunrise because it fascinated me. It's like a miracle every single morning. This idea that a a new day starts with this, first off, this beautiful show that we get to see, right? This, like, it's incredible. And so it started to do two things. It started to make me see that I had a fresh start every day if I wanted it, if I needed it. Like if I had fallen away or gone back to something, today is a new day. And it also helped me to really start seeing that life was this miraculous gift, not always hard, not always against me, not negative in any way that I really was part of this big, beautiful world that included the sunrise and me. So this is where I started and I just kept adding little things in. So I started this little gratitude practice where I would just write down three statements of gratitude each day that started to grow and grow. And I really feel like gratitude is one of the most transformative practices we can put in place because it's so simple. You can literally write, I'm grateful for anything, Mm -hmm. whether it's the person who did my nails or the sunset or my breath. And the more and more we do that, the more it ripples out into our whole life. So I started that and I started journaling. These were the first two sort of big practices journaling. I had always written in a diary my whole life, Mm -hmm. but I started writing from this compassionate voice, this gentle, kind voice where even when things weren't going exactly the way I wanted to, I wrote from this place where I didn't beat myself up, but instead wrote, here's what I'm going to do next. How can I treat myself really well? Mm -hmm. What am I learning here? What can I be grateful for? So I started writing from this different voice than I'd ever written from. And that really changed the wiring of my thinking. It started to really bring in all sorts of new ways of me looking at myself. I saw the possibilities instead of not seeing possibilities. So everything became this beautiful opportunity. I have a question for you. So when you journal, do Mm -hmm. you normally go back and see what you've written? 
Such a good question. One of the things about practices is they have to be perfect for you. For me, I go back every day and read the day before because it's, it's so insightful. <laughs> so I write, but I don't really read it. I'm just writing and writing and really mm-hmm. trying to write from my intuition, from my yeah, heart, not my head. Okay. So what happened at the beginning of that journaling journey is I started to see a change in the way I was talking to myself. Uh-huh. I started to unravel that old default setting, that old story of neglect or that I was not good enough, that mm-hmm. I wasn't worthy, all of those things, that I wasn't lovable unless I was doing X, Y, and Z. And that voice started to change. Then I started adding in new things, affirmations, meditation changed my life for sure. So huge. I I started literally with one minute, Mm -hmm. just with my phone and like just counting from one to 10, 10 to one for one minute and my thoughts going all over the place. But now over this decade, meditation has become just this incredible grounding, peaceful, still place where inspiration grows, where creativity grows, where I see myself as who I am, my core, Mm -hmm. my higher self, like all of these beautiful things. It's Mm -hmm. a practice. We do it for our life. It's a commitment that we make to ourselves, which is really what self-love is about, is dedication to ourselves throughout the rest of our lives. And since we're talking about morning rituals, I just want to Mm -hmm. add one of mine, which is related to meditation as well. And I call it, this may sound very crude, but I call it RPM, which is I rise, I pee, and then I meditate. (laughs) I'm with you. And I like to do that in the morning because exactly for what you said, your monkey brain mm-hmm. begins to work right away. But if you mm-hmm. catch it before it starts, mm-hmm. then I think that the that time the meditation is so much more fruitful or valuable. Exactly. Yeah. I was like in super mom mode all the time before early on where I would just get up and start just the to-do list. And I was so busy and intense and serious. And I didn't take any time to just be still and quiet and reflect and become aware. And so the morning practice is such a great way to build that foundation where you put you first. It's not negotiable for me now. It's like, when I wake up, this is me time. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. I have a really robust toolbox, Mm -hmm. you know, is Mm -hmm. what I call it so that I can pick and choose on any given day, how I'm going to work on really continuing, continuing to enhance what I've done and elevate who I am and expand in my own personal growth. That's my story. (laughs) And that then takes us to the next segue of you have talked about a lot of life lessons already, Mm -hmm. which I will sum up in the end, but I want to ask you, are there any other tools in your toolkit that you want to share or any other life lessons that you thought you would share with the listeners? That would be great. Okay, thanks. Yeah. So I want to come back to these two pieces, self-love and optimism, Mm -hmm. because I feel like those are the keys to 
us having this life of our own creation. Like I shared, that's the actions of self-love are the self-care pieces that you put in place. So what are the things that you can do for yourself that feel really intuitively good, right? How can you nourish your body? How can you rest your body or rest your mind? How can you start having really good self-talk, like shutting down that negative self-talk, shutting down that inner critic. I call them sort of the Afro of voices that hang out around your head, you know, that are those voices that have halted you from doing the things that you wanted. We all know what self-care feels like. We just don't take the time for it. Mm -hmm. And so giving yourself that time, that non-negotiable time, doesn't have to be in the morning. It's a great time, like you shared, where when you rise, it really starts your day off well. It sets and the tone for the day. Exactly. So I think that's really the key is that self-love is really how you talk to yourself. Self-love is a whole bunch of things, right? It's being compassionate and kind to yourself. It's this piece around self-care. It is this piece around optimism, having hope for yourself, having hope for the world, being grateful that life is a gift, just believing in yourself. So often we don't believe in ourselves. And that's really what I think the self-care piece is for optimism. So here's my it's question for optimism, yeah, Carla. Sure. Yeah. If someone's life really sucks mm-hmm. and it has been for a long, long, long time, like yours was, right? Yeah. How do you take that reality and convert that into optimism? Yeah, exactly. So we have to be conscious that we want to choose it. So in my story, for example, I was not consciously choosing optimism or pessimism. I was just living defaultly through pessimism. So the very first thing we have to do is notice that we're choosing one or the other lens. So I would look back and be able to say there were a lot of times when I was looking at the world from this permanently and generally life was pretty terrible and Mm. specifically and temporarily life was good. So that's really the opposite of the optimism definition that I gave off the top. That's a choice to look at the world. So even when things are challenging, it doesn't mean that life is like smiley and joyful all the time, but there are things that we can find, lessons we can find, gratitude, people who are helping us. There's all of these different ways to look at the world and and see ourselves and see the world through that lens. And so that's really what optimism is to me. I have this Monday morning optimist club call that I do each Monday at 9am to help people to cultivate optimism on a more conscious level. And so we start the week not being in that glum place. This woman had cancer and she came every day knowing that she was terminal. I also knew she was terminal and still had optimism for the life that she had left. So that's how, right? She had a child. It's not like she wanted to die at all. Of course she wanted to have more life, but she taught me so much about optimism. It was like this in living example of how we can live optimistically, even though we know that things aren't going to turn out the way we necessarily want them to, right? But we can still have hope for today, this moment, or the next three hours. So I, I just think it's so much about how you choose to show up. 
And like you said, right in the beginning for everything, you have a choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it might not be like a great choice and an even better choice. It might be like a crummy choice and a crappy choice, but everything's going to lead to something different depending on how you look at it, right? Yeah, Carla, yeah. that's beautiful. Really, really fun talking to you. Definitely got a great story from you, but oh, also got you. some very good life lessons. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for being a guest on Sharing Life. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my dialogue with Carla as much as I enjoyed having it. First of all, I applaud Carla for sharing her personal story so honestly. It surely takes courage to share what she did with us today. I want to re-emphasize what Carla said, that she is sharing her story because we struggle with what to do in those deep, dark moments. She wants people to know that there is possibility. If you are struggling, know to reach out and get some help. Get help from whoever you are close to and also call the National Suicide Prevention Life prevention lifeline in the US, the number for which is 800-273-8255. And always remember that you are not alone. I also want to reiterate Carla's thoughtful definition of optimism. Carla says, optimism means that permanently and generally life is good and temporarily and specifically we face challenge. And so it's not necessarily about always being happy or always being positive. It's really about understanding that there's a flow. Carla shared many tips on how she moved from hopelessness to a full transformation of herself. She used many self-care routines, which include gratitude, journaling, affirmations, meditation. But her final message is that self-love and optimism will carry us through this journey of life and that we always have a choice. This brings us to the end of this episode. I will bring you another episode of Sharing Life Lessons next Wednesday. Until then, be happy, be safe, and be well.